Faye, thanks a lot. You may be seated. Um, you know, before we get into content this morning, just want, want to remind those of you that are part of the prayer team that are praying uh, for day camp to, to meet Jennifer Paul at the back of the room. Any are, Anybody here can, yeah, because you're going you're gonna to walk around the building right after the first service and pray um, in, in the building and, and pray for the day camp that is coming up. Isn't this cool? Hey, you know, for those of you that uh, were, were upset that you weren't going to the beach this morning, welcome to the beach. Yeah, this is really cool. Yeah. Um, anyway, as we get into content this morning, I, wa- I want to begin by asking you a question. What do you use as a measurement for satisfaction in your life. Is there, you know, um, how, do you, how do you know your life's going okay? What do, you, what do you use as a measurement? What do you use as a yardstick? Is it happiness? Is it, you know, the career you finally, you know, worked hard to, to get? Is it uh, the friends you have? Is it, you know, the, the money you make? Like, what is it as a, what, what do you use as a measurement? How do, you, how do you know that your life's okay? How do you know that things are going well? How do you know that... Um, you know, um, that you're in, in line with where life should be. How do you know? Um, and for those of you that are spiritual or follow Jesus, how do, you, how do you know that your spiritual life's okay? Is there anything in your spiritual life that, that you can say, hey, you know, I, I read my Bible to the point that it makes me happy. I, I pray. I, I, I sense the presence of God. Uh, all of that kind of stuff. What do you, what do you use as a measurement? Right? Um, have, you ever, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever considered what, what is it? Because how, how many of us have a deep sense of dissatisfaction in our lives and yet can't sort of put our finger on what it is that causes that dissatisfaction? What is it that, that pushes us in, in that direction? What is it that, that we want to have in our lives that we, that we think we don't have and yet we can't put the finger on what it is is going to make us happy or make us content or make us, you know, satisfied with the life that we have. You know, it's a very, it's a very, very important question. And the, and the reason I, I, I raise it is because uh, I, I think um, the passage that we're going to look at today is one of the most ignored passages when it comes to the I am statements of Jesus. And yet, it's probably one of the most powerful ones that Jesus States in the in the I am statements. You know, if, you're, if this is your first time here, we're, we're we're in part three of the seven I am statements that Jesus made in the book of John, and they're really important because whenever Jesus says I am and then attaches something to it, what the people are hearing who are standing in front of Jesus is the echo from Exodus three fourteen where Moses was at the burning bush. And Moses said to the, to, the burning, to the voice in the burning bush, who do I say is sending me to Egypt to, to liberate the people? And the voice said, I am. The self-existent one. The all-encompassing one. And it was, it was a powerful. So, so when Jesus says, I am, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. Uh, you know, all those statements that he makes... There is something significantly important of what it is that he's communicating. And last week we talked about, you know, Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And he demonstrated that by, by healing a blind man. And he healed this blind man. And you think everyone would have celebrated. 
You know, if, 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 if there was someone here that had a physical ailment and we, and we healed you this morning, we would all celebrate that. What, we would think there was something dramatically wrong if somebody stood up and said, I'm really upset you did that. Right? You know, you would expect celebration. But the religious leaders in, in, in John chapter 9 get upset. They're going, who is this person? How dare you do this on a religious day? How dare you heal this guy? Because this guy's a sinner. And Jesus is going, wait, wait you know, time out. I, I, I think you're missing the point. I think you're missing the point. And Jesus ends up in this conflict with the religious leaders about what it is to serve God versus who he is in serving God. So here's, here's the thing about the passage that we're going to look at this morning because it continues from the argument that Jesus is having with the religious leaders. And in fact, the statements, um, I, I want to be really clear about this. Um, in this particular passage, there are two I am statements that are connected. They're very close together. Um, and the, the, the one that we love, the, the really fuzzy, warm one, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, we're not going to deal with today. We're going to do that next week, okay? Because that's the really easy one. But Jesus makes two statements, two statements, in this particular passage that we're looking at this morning. The first statement is an I am statement. The second one grows out of that I am statement. And here's the thing, here's the thing. The first I am statement that Jesus makes makes most people uncomfortable. In the world that we live in, to make the kind of statement that Jesus makes in this I am statement makes everyone uncomfortable. The second statement that Jesus makes, born out of the first I am statement, makes most people say it's likely not possible or improbable or impossible. People are going to struggle with both these statements at some level, at some level. So this is one of the reasons why I say this is a really powerful passage. Because Jesus is talking not just to average people. He is talking to religious leaders. He is talking to people who lead community of faith in a relationship with God. And he's striking at the heart of what they have been producing as followers of God and, and challenging them about who he is and who they are. Because back in John 8, leading up to this as well, Jesus has been in conflict with these religious leaders. And Jesus basically says, you are acting like your father who is the devil. You say that you are children of Abraham but if you truly were children of Abraham, if you truly were following God, you would recognize who I am, you would believe the words that I am saying, and we wouldn't be having the kind of conflict that we're having where you are trying to kill me or you are trying to stone me. So this is a very, very important passage. It kind of sets the tone of much of what's going to happen in the life of Jesus So let me read this first part here. I tell you the truth, amen, in in the original Greek, because amen means to to tell the truth, okay? Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. 
So you've got this gate, you know, this, this pen of all these sheep. If you're going to jump over the gate, obviously you're doing something that isn't uh, legal because you're not going through the door that's clearly there, okay? But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Nice, warm, and fuzzy, right? After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. You know, Jesus is using very common imagery here and very, you know, and a very common metaphor of, a, of, a, of, a, you know, of, of sheep and a, and a sheep herder and someone who cares for the sheep. It is a beautiful picture um, and even though we're disconnected, you know, from an agricultural sense in the, in the culture that we, that we live in, we still get a sense of what this looks like. It's a very intimate portrayal, isn't it? And it's a very beautiful picture, and we, and we love it, you know? It's a very um, beautiful picture, very intimate. And Jesus goes on and continues the, the, uh, the passage and says this. The people, um, yeah, there it is. Thanks, Lizzie. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. Interesting that they don't understand a very simple picture. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, Again, he says it. I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. Now, here's the second statement that I should, should literally rock your world. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Twice Jesus says, I am the gate. That everyone before him was a thief and a robber. Like whatever, whatever you followed in terms of a, of a, of a, of a religious uh, component in, in, in these people's lives, they didn't exactly demonstrate or convey the image of God or image of the Father. Because it was all about Ritual. It was all about legalism. It was all about following the rules. It was all about, you know, not breaking the commandments or anything like that. It sort of missed the entire point of what it was to have a relationship with God. But Jesus says everyone else before him was, were thieves and robbers. And, and this is going back to the Old Testament. We're talking about Ezekiel 34. We're talking about Isaiah. We're talking about Zechariah. These Old Testament prophets who warned about the people who would lead Israel would do so in a false way. Would sort of, would sort of break the people and not communicate to them. They were more interested in their own power. They were only, only interested in, in how it was going to benefit them. But Jesus says, no. If you want to have a relationship with the Father, if you want to have, you know, this, this beautiful picture of green pastures, that the only way to enter into that place is to enter through me. That I am the gate, the only, the only gate possible. 
It's interesting because um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at John 14 that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this passage very much mimics that. But here's the problem. You know, actually, let me, let, me read you, let me read you a few more a few more passages. Gate in the Old Testament is often used metaphorically as Old Testament salvation. In the Greek, this is the word thura. It can also mean door. That Jesus is the door. The door that opens up to God, to salvation, to heaven. That any of those things that you want in your life, you need to reconcile Jesus in your life. Jonah said, but I will offer sacrifices to you and songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. In Psalm 118, 19 to 28, open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. This is what people are hearing. So you're the gate where the godly enter, where the righteous go, where where salvation is found. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God shining upon us. Take the sacrifice. Bind it with cords on the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. How many worship songs did you hear in that passage? You know, I started singing like six times, these six different songs, like reading that, right? But that's, that's, that's the expression of a person who enters the gate of salvation in God. Here's, here's, here's the deal. Jesus is not only the gate, not only the door to salvation, but also the door to a fulfilling life. A rich and satisfying life. See, that's, that's where the two statements are. I said the very first statement, I am the gate. For most people, that's an uncomfortable statement to make. There are lots of paths to God. There are lots of, of, of ways to get to God. There are lots of ways of being saved. There, you know, there are lots of paths to the Father. You know, um, I, just, I just recently read... Um, uh, a rock star. I'm not even going to mention the name or anything like that. But the person said this, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus and Buddha and Muhammad and all those that were enlightened. I wouldn't say necessarily that I'm a strict Christian, you think? (laughs) Wow. Stick to songwriting. Um, No, maybe not. Um, I'm not sure I even believe in heaven. Now, Jesus never once said that he was enlightened. Jesus never presented himself 
as an enlightened person. What he did do was present himself as the gate and the way to the Father and presented himself as the only path. Now, that makes people so uncomfortable in our culture today that if you want heaven, you want to attain salvation, if you want a relationship with God that is vital, that is real, that, that is scriptural, you know, that's, you have to deal with Jesus. You know, you can believe all these other things that you want. You can believe all these other paths. You, you know, do whatever you want. But they're going to end up in a dead end, a detour, or an off-ramp that you're not wanting to go on. That's, that's the reality. I, you know, I don't, you know, I, I get all the time people saying to me, you Christians claim more for Jesus than he ever claimed for himself. And I go, no, time out, no, no. No, I don't know. You, you, ever, you ever get a comment from somebody who claims to be a Christian and you wonder what Bible they're reading? You ever, you've ever done that? Like, what, what, where, where did you get that? Where, where did you get that? Jesus was, was incredibly clear. And I say this to my class all the time, and you guys hear me say this all the time. When it becomes a really, really important question to God, he is very clear about the answer. There are lots of, lots of gray areas and lots of freedom that God gives us. But when it comes to things like salvation, when it comes to heaven, when it comes to the afterlife, when it comes to these kinds of things, God is absolutely clear. In fact, sent his son to make it clear. And here is Jesus in the midst of a, of, of, of a religious community clarifying for them that he is the gate. You guys tracking with me? Second statement is this. I will give you a life. If you enter into the gate, I will give you a life that is rich and satisfying or abundant or fulfilling. You know, the Greek word here is really powerful because the Greek word is the kind of word that if you say, I have more than everybody else, then this word says, oh, but I'll give you even more on top of your more. It's, a, it's abundant. It's an, it's an exaggerated expression. And I don't know about you. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But if there's ever a statement that Jesus makes that should trouble you, it's this one. Because the, the, the majority of our world struggles with Jesus being the gate, the only one. Most of us get uncomfortable with that statement. And I would say most people who are outside the church are very uncomfortable with that statement. The second statement, that Jesus will give you a rich and satisfying and abundant and over-the-top life, I think most believers struggle with. You see, I don't know about you, but I've started measuring my personal life through this statement. Can I honestly say that I'm living a rich and satisfying life. Am I honestly saying that abundance is mine because of my faith in Jesus Christ? How many of, how many of us hearing that statement struggle and say, my life has been anything but rich and satisfying. My life's been anything but abundant. And, wait, and, you know, and before we go anywhere, if you think for a minute I'm talking health and wealth and all this kind of stuff, you're dead wrong. If you think it's going to be, you know, Jesus will pour into your life everything that's good. 
But it's a, you know, it's, it, it's, this, it's this total recreation in your life of things that are going to matter, of things that become important, of things that you don't worry about anymore because they're now in the hands of God. This is... You know, I like I. You know, in, in September we're going to do a ten-part series on, uh, and, and we're actually using this passage about what, what's abundant living because I I really do believe there are so many of us as believers who are neglecting parts of our lives and not living to abundance as Jesus intended for us, and it's like we're not being able to fulfill what God wants in our lives fully. But I don't know. To me, this is such a troubling statement. How many of us can actually say that my faith in Christ has, has elevated my entire existence in ways that nothing else could? See, I've started, you know, like I said, um, there, there are areas in my life where I say, is this the rich and satisfying life that Jesus meant for me? And there's parts of my life where I say, if it's not, I need to cut it out. If it's not, I need to stop. If it's not, I need to surrender it to God. If it's not, I need to pray about it. Because I don't think this is what God intended for us to live with. Now, I'm, 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 you know, if, 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 if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. But I'm bothered by this statement. Because Jesus says when you enter in the gate and you come into the pastures of heaven, if you come into the pastures of, of an existence with me, I will give you a rich and satisfying life, a life of abundance, a life that is fulfilling. Wow. That's, that's heavy. That is absolutely heavy. That's filled with all kinds of questions. You know, it's filled with all kinds of moments or seasons in our lives where we say, you know, God took me through an incredible season, a difficult season. But you know what? It was an abundant season because I learned so much that I would never have learned otherwise. Do we ever look at it that way? Is it more our attitude of seeing what the situation and the circumstances produce that cause us not to be satisfied in Christ alone? Because that's what Jesus says. And you know, when it comes to anything, I kind of tend to lean towards what Jesus says. That's okay. I don't even get an amen for that. Eh? Well, anyway. <laughs> but, but, you know, but you know what I mean? That's, a, that's, that's exactly where Jesus is, is taking this. And next week, it's like, next week, it's going to be all warm and fuzzy because we're going to talk about Jesus being the good shepherd. We love that picture. We love that picture. For those of us that become believers and, and we know there's seasons of our lives where we feel the hand and the presence of God and, and it carries us through because we know that we are in the palm of God's hand and being carried through difficult circumstances. But here Jesus rattles the cage and says, if you enter into the gate, into my presence, I will give you a rich and satisfying life. Now, as I've said, the first statement bothers people who are outside of the church. And I think, actually, I take that back because I read a lot of church stuff where there's no way they can believe that Jesus is the only way, right? Environment is or something. Anyway, you know what I mean? But that's what Jesus says. And the second statement 
must bother believers. A rich and satisfying life. Ask yourself. So, I thought to myself, what, what would you use as kind of you know, measurements on whether or not your life is rich and satisfying? So, I've, I've got a series of questions here that we're going to go through. Uh, I think there's eight or nine. But anyway, have I entered into a relationship with Jesus? Or am I just toying with spirituality? Is that, is that one of you here today? Have you truly entered into a relationship with Jesus? Or are you just toying with spirituality? Are you, are you doing, I'm the spiritual person. Uh, I go to church when I, you know, whenever it's rainy and I can't get to the beach. You know, that kind of thing. Have I entered into a relationship with Jesus? Because Jesus is the gate, remember? Spirituality is nothing without Jesus. Sorry. Spirituality is nothing without Jesus. It is just plain. Wow. I took a courage pill this morning. Um, number, number, number two, am I learning to live each day in the light of Christ and his teachings? Remember that Jesus said, you know, you know if, you, if you follow my teachings, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You, you always get people saying, you know, uh, you will know the truth, the truth will set you free, and they use it in all kinds of contexts. But the context that Jesus used that is if you, you become my disciple, and you follow my teachings, you will know the truth. And the tr- truth will set you free. Almost everybody that I've known who has come to faith as, an, as a, as a uh, you know, middle-aged to older person have virtually said the exact same t- thing to me every time. I feel like I've been betrayed. And now that I'm a believer, I can see the truth. I, like, that, that is almost universally the statement that they always make, which is really bizarre. Like, I thought it was okay to live like this. I thought it was okay to do this. I thought it was okay to, you know, act like this and, and, and be self, you know, directed in this way. Which is really powerful to hear them say that. Am I, am I following Christ and his teachings each and every day? Number three, am I able to look back on my past without it ruling my present how many times did Jesus say, or, or the scriptures say about being victorious? And not to be victimized by your past, but to live in victory of, of everything you were before coming to faith. Right? That's a, that's a tough one, isn't it? That's a tough one. I'm, I'm not saying you don't learn from your past. I'm not saying that you, you totally ignore. I'm not saying any of that. But don't let it rule who you are today. Don't let it determine what your future is going to be. And how many of us don't allow God to do a deep work inside of us because we feel we're so broken and helpless because of our past that we live helpless and broken as believers in Jesus Christ? Number four, am I filled with faith, hope, and love and live without anger, greed, guilt, envy, and thoughts of revenge? Payback is not a spiritual gift. <laughs> we sometimes think it is, but payback is not a spiritual, <laughs> spiritual gift. Am I filled with faith, hope, and love and live without anger? You know, 
I can live without anger as long as I stay off the road. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's an area of work in, in, in my life. Greed, guilt, envy, or thoughts of revenge. You know, can, can I live with those particular things? Number five. Am I secure and at peace with who I am in Christ? That's a biggie, isn't it? How many of us wish we had something else in our life? We were someone else. And how many of us have said to God, why me? Why now? Why here? Why this? Why them? All all of that kind of stuff. Am I truly at peace with who God has made me to be? Can I honestly say that God's love in me, to me, gives me value more so than anything else in my life? Is, you know, is my relationship with Christ and the love that he has for me greater than, you know, other places that I may receive love that I think is more valuable? Spouse, children. You know, that kind of thing. Pets. Right? Am I secure and at peace with who I am in Christ? You guys caught that, eh? Um, Anyway, six. (laughs) Number six is this. Do I love the unlovable, give hope to the hopeless, friendship to the friendless, and encouragement to the discouraged? Can I do that? Do I do that? Do Do I see every relationship, do I see every contact that I have as something that they are a person that Jesus died for? And can, and can I enter into that, regardless of how it is, in a way that honors Christ, in a way that honors God? But really, you know, really, really, really important. Do I portray a posture of Christ in, in my life? You know? Uh, Ernest, Ernest isn't here. Brent, Brent can attest to this. Ernest has a little saying. He's one of our elders here. Um, he's in Ghana, so I can say this about him. Um, um, but he always says, do I leave a relationship leaving the person more encouraged than discouraged when we've talked? Like he has said that a number of times. Right? And I've always appreciated that. You know, that, 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 that something uh, intentional that he does in a person's life. Can I leave them more encouraged than, than whatever? And I've said many, many, I've said many, many times, encouragement is the one gift that God has given the church that we neglect the most. Because encouragement doesn't cost you anything. You don't need special training in it. You know, you don't need to wait for a particular time. You don't need to... Encouragement is an incredibly powerful tool. And to just say the right thing to the right person at the right time right? Changes their whole outlook. It can take a horrible day and turn it into what? Yeah. And encouragement is so, so, so powerful. And how many, how many of us, you know, neglect that one gift that God has given? Okay. Uh, seven. Uh, am I able to look back in forgiveness, forward in hope, and with gratitude to God right here, right now? Can I do that? To look back in forgiveness. How many of us, how many of us are holding on to something that continues to eat away at us? And, 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 you know, you may not physically have cancer, but you spiritually have cancer. 
And spiritual cancer is almost as deadly, if not more. Okay? Uh, Forward in hope, you know? Hey, if you can't look at tomorrow with a more eager sense of today, then you got to shift something. If tomorrow is scarier to you than today is, in your relationship with God, something is amiss. Okay? That's like, like, it, it only takes one day at a time, remember? And one step at a time. That's what it takes. Okay, I think this is the last one. Oh, no, it's not. Am I able to recognize, develop, and use my God-given physical, mental, and spiritual abilities to the glory of God and for the benefit of others? Remember, I said a disciple is defined as what? A disciple of Jesus is defined as a person who, over time, grows more like Jesus, but it doesn't end there for the benefit of others. See, you don't grow as a follower of Jesus for your own ego or for your own self-development. You develop as a person who is a follower of Jesus Christ for the benefit of others and for the benefit of the world. Okay? That is the part of discipleship that we miss sometimes because we think spiritual development is all about me. And God is saying, no, no, no. I gave you these gifts. I gave you these abilities. I gave you these strengths. And they're all for me to use them to be an encouragement and a light to others. Okay? You guys tracking with me? You guys okay? Here's the, okay, here's the last one. Do I long for the kingdom of God. Do I long for the kingdom of God? Okay? Those are, those are you know, to me, those are nine powerful questions. Those are, those are things you can use in your life to, to ask yourself, am I living a, you know, the, the kind of spiritual life that God intended for me? And let me tell you, if, if, if you manage those things well, if you work on those things well, that God will bless your life in ways unimaginable. And I'm not talking about, you know, health, wealth. I'm not talking about that. There are blessings that happen in your life that you could never duplicate because you could never manufacture them physically. And yet God touches people and touches lives and touches you in ways that you could never have done on your own. Ever done on your own. Here's, here's a quote I want to I leave with. Roy, Roy Clements, um, in his book, in introdu- Introducing Jesus, says this, and I love it. He said, Jesus is right. It is not the Christian doctrine of heaven that is a myth. It is the human dream of utopia. Pretty powerful, eh? It's a human dream of utopia. Listen, are you, do you struggle with those statements? Do you struggle with the first one that says, I am the gate? Because there are so many different ways to God. And that's not what Jesus said. It's not what Jesus claimed. Do you struggle with the second one? Where Jesus says that when you enter into the gate, that I will give you a life of abundance. Do you struggle with that one? Let me, let me challenge you this week to get in the closet and pray to the Lord and say, where, Lord, do I need to communion with you 
and to start living my life in the abundance that you said you would give. First of all, I'm not playing spirituality anymore, but I'm committing myself in a fresh way to you so that I can have the life that you intend for me. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Incredible words from Jesus. Words that many would struggle with today, and yet there's no way I think they were hyperbole. They were very much to the point that Jesus wanted to make. So, Father, as we continue in our worship to you, may we acknowledge our place before you. May we be thankful of what you have given us through your life, your death, burial, and resurrection, and the hope that we can have to live a life of promise that you have given us because of our faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.